Well, good morning to you, Capital Vineyard family. How are you doing this morning? Uh, I am thankful to be here with you this morning, though I would probably, if I'm being honest, be more thankful uh, to be in your actual physical presence. Uh, listen, I am an introvert at heart. It's just a reality. It's the truth. When I'm around people, it kind of takes energy from me. But I love people. And even as an introvert, I am to the point of saying, I need some interaction. And so I'm hoping that you are finding ways to connect with one another, to people outside of the church uh, in, in, in this weird time. Uh, I really pray that you are. We had a great time on Friday night doing the, the family game night. I hope you were able to be a part of that. Uh, and, uh, and we'll probably be doing some more of that stuff. It was, we did it over Zoom, and we did some games on the screen and stuff like that. So it was a lot of fun, just an, another way to interact. But I hope that you are finding ways to interact with people uh, in, in a time when we're, we're kind of isolated. But we don't have to be. You can still communicate. So send a text, reach out, call somebody on the phone, check in on people and see how they're doing um, because it feels really good to know that, that people are checking on you and, and care about you during this time. Um, but uh, listen, last week was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Last week, Easter, what a great celebration. What a great day to celebrate in an incredible, in an incredible way. Um, we introduced our series, uh, You Are Invited, for our Easter kind of going on out from Easter, that theme. Um, and, uh, and we really, we really are, are celebrating the idea that this is a party, that the new life that we have in Christ because of the resurrection is a party. The single greatest day in history, and that is not an exaggeration. The single most important, most significant, greatest day in history was the day that Jesus rose from the grave because that means you can now enter into new life with him. And so we're celebrating that, and we're going to talk about uh, uh, what it means to, to have new life and to be a part of new life and, and, and the fact that every single person is invited to that new life. And so we're going to continue on with that series this week. Um, as we go from here, we're going to kind of be taking a little bit of a different turn. And yes, we're celebrating Easter as a party, but we're also going to be looking at the scripture and, and looking at, at times uh, when there were parties. And, uh, and look at how we're invited according to those scriptures. So we're going to look at, at times when uh, Jesus was at a physical party, when he showed up at a party. Um, but we're going to look at times when he's speaking about uh, a parable of a, kind of a metaphorical party uh, or a banquet or, or things like that. So, so it's going to be fun. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and get to the scripture this morning. We're going to go to Luke chapter 5 and... Um, we're going to start in verse 27, and we're going to look at a, at a time when Jesus called uh, one of the disciples, Matthew, or this scripture says Levi. It's the same person. You can know that. Um, and, uh, but it, he calls Matthew, and then Matthew turns around, and he throws a party for Jesus and the other disciples. Okay, so let's look at what happens here. Let's see what we can learn out of this whole thing. So Luke uh, 5, verse 27. After that, he, that's Jesus, went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi, or Matthew, like I said, sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and he got up and he began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, there's a whole lot of things that are going on in this, uh, in this scene or a couple of scenes that we can see. Um, really, it's kind of a, a mix, right? It's a, it's a jumble of, of different people that are here. Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew throws Jesus and, and his other disciples a party. So there's a, already a couple of different people there. <coughs> Excuse me. You're looking at Jesus, um, and, and, and he's got a couple of, couple of guys with him already. Not, it's very early in his ministry, so he only has a few of his disciples, um, and they're all fishermen. It's Peter and James and John, and probably Andrew is in there in that mix, uh, and they're following Jesus, and they call this guy Matthew. So now we have fishermen, we have a tax collector, we have uh, Pharisees who, who are going to be of a different class that show up at this thing, the scribes that are along with them. Uh, and, and then you've got other tax collectors and other people who the Pharisees later on describe as sinners. Why are you eating with these tax collectors and sinners, these other people here? So really you've got kind of this, this mashup of society, a mashup of culture happening in this one little scene. Uh, and, and, and it kind of, you know, it's, it, it's interesting when you look at it this way, right? Because uh, there are people from all different walks of life, and they end up in this one scenario. I mean, think about it. Think about the characters we just, we just named, okay? We're talking about fishermen who are going to be kind of the, the low end of society, right? They're not real educated. Uh, they spend a lot of time fishing. They spend a lot of time fishing at night, probably. So their lives, their, their time is off kind of that way. So um, their schedule is off. They're not going to have a lot of influence and power in society. Uh, you look at the Pharisees are kind of on the other end of that spectrum, okay? So if you have fishermen down here, you've got Pharisees on this end of the spectrum where you're talking about super educated people. These are the, the elite. These are the religious elite, um, the, the cultural leaders of the day. So they have all kinds of power and influence. They probably have lots of money as well because of their positions. So you're talking about scribes and Pharisees in that way. And then you're talking about tax collectors, um, who are kind of in the middle there, right? So they're, they're um, probably very wealthy. Tax collectors were very wealthy. It was a very lucrative position, but they were very much hated by their entire society, okay? Very much hated. Nobody liked these guys. So they, they had lots of money, but they didn't have a lot of influence in the Jewish culture as we look at it that way. So, so you've got this mashup, and then you've got other tax collectors, and you've got other people from all walks of life. Walks of life. But then you've got Jesus. And Jesus is the guy who, who holds this whole thing together, right? He's kind of like that centerpiece. All these other people are spokes off of this wheel, and Jesus is the centerpiece that is connecting everything because they're all there for Jesus, because of Jesus, um, and because of his ministry in that way. But, but it's a really interesting crew of people. And you think about this, right? What a party. What, what a, a, an uncomfortable party, probably, when you think about it. Have you ever been in a, at a party like that, in, in this kind of a scenario where there's all kinds of different people from all kinds of different walks of life? I mean, we're talking about different statuses in society, different political parties, affiliation there, um, all kinds of different um, um, beliefs and backgrounds, whether people go to church or people don't go to church or all this kind of stuff, right? And they're all at this, at this party, and there's usually one couple or one person that holds this group together. That, that are the reason for everybody coming to this party. 
it's really an interesting thing because when you sit down at the table, when all of those people sit down at a table to eat or they sit in the, at the deck or you know, out, out on the deck around the campfire, whatever it is, you sit down and you look around and you go, these people do not belong together, right? It's, it's, like, it's like, it's not that they shouldn't belong together. It's not that they can't belong together. It's just that they don't belong together. You would, you would not normally find, there is nowhere else on earth that you're going to find this mix of people, okay? That's the kind of party that this is. There's a little bit of tension there. There's a little bit of, uh, of um, not being so comfortable with one another because you don't know if you're going to say something that's going to step on somebody else's toes or all that. It's that kind of a party, that kind of a scene. And it's the same thing with this thing here in scripture, you would not find Jewish tax collectors along with Jewish fishermen sitting in the same room or talking with Pharisees and scribes along with, uh, with, with all these other people and then this, this outside-the-box kind of new, uh, not-so-traditional rabbi. You just don't find that, right? There, this is not going to happen in normal society. It, it just doesn't come together like that. And, and I'm not saying that everybody is there on equal terms, right? So I, I would guess that Matthew, the tax collector, through this party, this, this reception for Jesus, I, I don't think probably the Pharisees and the scribes were, were invited. I think they probably just kind of made their way. I don't have any proof for that, but I doubt that they would have uh, uh, come to this party or, excuse me, been invited to this party. Really, I think they're there just to kind of show up and challenge Jesus and his followers and, and, and some of his teachings and figure out what's going on with that. So, so as we look at this whole mixed up scene, as all of these different characters, all of these different scenarios, what, what do we get out of this, right? What do we get out of this party with this thing? Well, I've got a couple of thoughts for you this morning. And the first one is this, all are invited. All are invited, okay? I know we talked about this kind of at the end of the message last week, um, but this is the idea. You are invited. Who is invited? Everyone is invited. Absolutely everyone is invited to this party. When I look at Matthew, I can't help but, but, but see Matthew as like, a representation for a certain group of people within our society, okay? Uh, when, when I look at, and, and all the other tax collectors too, okay? I can't see how, I can't help but see how excluded Matthew was from society. How rejected, how pushed away, how outcast he was. His life choices, and they were his life choices, but his life choices led him to being outcast and rejected and ostracized and pushed away on so many fronts, rejected. No matter how you want to say it, Matthew was an outsider. He was on the outside. Matthew was unwelcome. He was unwanted and he was uninvited in so many ways. This was a guy who was hated by his own people, all the other tax collectors too. But, but for Matthew in this scenario, he was hated by his own people, okay? His, his own people. If, uh, it doesn't matter what walk of life you came from in this Jewish society. There was one thing that you could always agree on, and that was a hatred for the Roman government. Absolute hatred. And along with the hatred for the Roman government, a hatred for anybody who allowed the Roman government to oppress the Jewish people. Matthew was a tax collector. 
Matthew was somebody who not only uh, allowed the Roman government to be in place, Matthew was somebody who kind of enforced their occupation because his job was to take your money and give it to the Romans, to give it to the enemies. That was Matthew's job. One of your own people, giving your money to the old people. And he, and he, he kind of enforced this thing by keeping you poor is what it amounted to. This was a guy who took their money, gave it to the enemy, and in doing that, kept you poor. Not really a recipe to be well-loved by very many people, right? And also because of this, Matthew was a rich man. Uh, it's it's kind of known throughout, uh, throughout histories and other scholars that tax collectors were pretty rich. It made them rich because they would take their, their, make their living by scraping a little off the top and taking that and keeping that for, for their own, right? So, so he made you or he made himself rich by keeping you poor. That's a recipe that, that for hatred right there. And on top of that, the Roman government. Listen, he was hated by his own people. He was related, hated by the religious community. He was hated by the Romans. Just because Matthew worked for the Romans does not mean that they liked him. Think about it. How many people do you know that you like if they're a traitor to your own people, right? If they're a rat, if they're gonna rat somebody out, if they're gonna, if they're gonna oppress your, like you don't, we don't like those kind of people, right? And I don't think the Romans, even though he worked for them, that doesn't mean they liked him. That doesn't mean they liked his character or thought he was a great guy. He was just a pawn to be used in their whole scheme of oppression. So he wasn't even liked by the Romans. But he, was, he was disliked, he was hated, he was rejected on pretty much all fronts, right? Listen to me this morning. Listen. You might be unwelcome in society. And you might be unwelcome in most religious institutions or organizations. But you are not unwelcome at the table with my Jesus. You are welcome to the table. All are invited. Absolutely all are invited, right? You are invited. You are welcome to come. We are open and we are asked, you're, you're, the arms are open wide. Now, I am not telling you that everybody else at the party or at the table is gonna welcome you with open arms, okay? I can look at the church in, 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 in our world and I can tell you that that's not necessarily gonna be the case. But I am telling you that you are welcome at the table with my Jesus because Jesus said you are. But what do you think about Peter and Andrew and, and, and James and John? What do you think their reaction was to Jesus inviting this guy, Matthew, to be a part of their crew? I mean, think about it. This was a guy who probably took their money. They had to turn in their living to this Matthew guy to make him rich and for him to make the Romans rich. What do you think their reaction is going to be when Jesus says, hey, Matthew, um, why don't you come on with us? Come follow it. Really, Jesus? This is a guy who is a cheater. He is a traitor. He has taken my money and you want to invite him? You want me to spend time with this guy? You want me to live with this guy? Really, Jesus? That's what we're about. Listen, I, don't, I have no idea what their reaction was, but I think I can assume from human nature that they would not probably have welcomed him with a big old hug saying, yeah, bring on Matthew, bring on the tax collector. He's one of us now, right? I don't think so. I'm just not convinced of that. So I'm not guaranteeing you that everybody 
is, is going to accept you. If you accept Jesus's invitation, I am not guaranteeing you that you are going to be welcomed with open arms to every single religious institution that you walk into, but I am guaranteeing you that my Jesus wants you. I can 100% guarantee you that. My Jesus wants you. Regardless of, the, uh, of whether the rest of society or regardless of whether the, the religion uh, institutions want you, my Jesus wants you. I can absolutely tell you that with certainty. And I can tell you that the reason for your rejection from society, whatever that may be, wherever it comes from, I can tell you that that plays no part in whether you're invited or not. It doesn't matter. The reason for your rejection from society, Matthew was a tax collector, hated by by everybody in his community. It didn't matter. The reason for your rejection from the rest of the world does not matter. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. Oh, you don't know the things that I've seen or the things that I've said or the things that I've done. You don't know what everybody else says about me. You don't know why I've been pushed away from the church or pushed away from society. You're right. I probably don't know why, but it doesn't matter. See, there's a guy named Paul in the scripture And he calls himself, by his own words, he says, I was the worst of sinners. I was the worst. 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 15. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Here's the trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. Paul says he was the worst. He was the worst. And Jesus sought him out. Jesus called Paul and said, come on, Paul, I want you. I need you. Come on. He sought him out. This was the guy who persecuted the church. This was the guy who, in his own words, he was violently aggressive. Violently aggressive. This was a guy who stood by and approved of murders because of religion. Right? This was a guy who was an enemy of Jesus, an enemy of Christ, like he says we all are, right? And yet Jesus says, come on, all are invited. All are invited. There is no one who is not invited by Jesus. I know that's a double negative, but there is no one who is not invited by Jesus. There may be some who, who religious institutions in all of their, in all of their uh, religious wisdom, now note the sarcasm there, right? But there may be some who in all of their wisdom exclude or puts out or reject other people, but no one is not invited by Jesus. That means all are invited. All are invited. Look at the scripture. Read, read Jesus and his interactions. Read the gospels. Read Acts Who does Jesus reject? Who does he reject? All are invited. The only people that Jesus has an issue with are the ones who say they don't need him. Those are the people that Jesus butts heads with, the ones who are gonna do it on their own. 
Not the ones who rejected religion, but the ones who embraced religion and said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do these things and I'm going to make it on my own, based on my own performance as a means for my salvation. They embraced the rules and the regulations. In fact, they made more rules and regulations. They depended on their own performance for salvation. And then, not only that, they imposed all of those rules and regulations on the other people around them and used that for a measurement of their means for salvation or their relationship to God. And it was determined by those those rules or the performance of those rules and regulations. Those are the people that Jesus distanced himself from. Right? Those are the people. Not the tax collectors and the sinners like you would think if Jesus was really holy, if he was really righteous. No, 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 no. Jesus distanced himself from the religious people. And I think the church has some stuff to learn from this passage of scripture. And, I, and I'm talking both the institutional church and I'm talking us individually as a church. Look at this. When Jesus invites Matthew to follow him and Matthew leaves everything to come follow Jesus, the next scene is Matthew throwing this big old party for Jesus. And who is invited? Who is it? Verse 29, right? The tax collectors and the, and the sinners, in verse 29, it says that there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. Now, for me, that says more than just, just tax collectors and sinners were invited. That says that a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who the, the Pharisees referred to as sinners showed up, Okay. Not just a couple of people or just everybody was invited, but a couple of people showed up because they felt like, you know, there was a little bit of obligation out of their relationship with Matthew. No, 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 no. This was a great crowd of tax collectors and sinners that showed up. They showed up. Why? They showed up to have a party with Jesus in honor of Jesus. They knew what this was about and they showed up for Jesus. Wrap your head around this for just a second because this is gonna be a difficult one for you to grasp in, in the context of, of, the, of the church in our world, okay? Wrap your head around it. Jesus is attractive to sinners. Think about it. Jesus is attractive to sinners. Take a second and wrap your head around that. Matthew threw a party for the rabbi guy that he had just decided to follow. They threw a party for this rabbi. Why would tax collectors and sinners show up for the party of a rabbi when every other rabbi that they've come into contact with has rejected them, has pushed them aside? Why would, you, why would they show up for Jesus? Now, I don't know, right? Why would, they, why would they do it? All the other rabbis have rejected them. Why would a crowd of tax collectors show up for a party for a rabbi? Because Jesus is attractive to the rejected, to the outcast, to the pushed aside, to the people that the religious institution, that religion determines are not worthy and shouldn't be there. Jesus is attractive to those people. The people that the religious community wants nothing to do with. And guess what? In turn, those people want nothing to do with the religious community. But Jesus, Jesus they wanna be around. 
Jesus they want to be with. Whether Matthew had convinced them that Jesus was different than all the other rabbis or whether, whether they had some context for interaction with themselves, they had heard some things about it. Whatever it was, they wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. They wanted to be with him. Huh. Go figure, right? Go figure. Because we've been taught, we've been trained to believe, or we've learned, we picked it up on our own, whatever it is, that the world outside the church wants nothing to do with Jesus. Right? We've been, we've been taught or we've trained ourselves to believe that the world wants nothing to do with Jesus. They reject him. They push him away. Listen, I am not convinced of that. I don't believe it. Not the real Jesus. Not the Jesus who came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. See, we think that the world wants nothing to do with Jesus, but that's not true. The world wants nothing to do with religion. And when they encounter it in the church, they want nothing to do with the church. Now, I know all all kinds of people want religion, right? All kinds of people go out and search for religion. They're searching for something in that way, right? But, but they don't want the religion, the, the moralism, the, 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 the forced upon you. You're going to meet these standards and you're going to perform by this. And if you don't perform by this, we're going to chew you up and we're going to spit you out. They can't handle that. They don't want that. But I believe the world cannot get enough of Jesus. I believe that. The world is clamoring. I believe the world is, is searching. They're hoping to find Jesus, even if they don't know what, that's, what they're looking for. That's why they're searching all these other religions. Because they're looking for something. They know something's not complete in them. They know that something is off and they need Jesus. They don't know that's what they need yet, but that's what they need. It's not Jesus that they reject. It's religion that they reject. When you look at the scripture, and you see who's causing all the trouble. You look, it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's the religious institution that is built on performance that people reject. It's, it's the, the religious institution or the people that are holding on to, those, to, the, to the moralism that people reject or that are causing the trouble. We see it in the book of Acts and we see it in, in Paul's letters that, that um, the people in the church, those Jewish people in the church They're called Judaizers. They're trying to force Judaism on people who are not subject to Judaism because they're they're not Jews. They found freedom in Christ outside of this moral law, this moral code, the the, the law of Moses, whatever it is. They found freedom in Christ outside of that. And now you have these Judaizers that are coming in and saying, no, you've got to follow this this law that is performance-based. And Paul's not having any of it. In his letters, Paul's like, stop it. It's ridiculous. Look at Galatians 5. He says, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. That's slavery to the law, slavery to performance. That's what Paul is saying. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, that's part of the religious law, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Paul says, if you go back to performing the law or if you subject yourself to a law of performance in order to find a relationship with Christ, Christ is of no meaning to you. His sacrifice was for nothing 
because you're still trying to earn it based on your performance of a law, of religion. And he says, Christ is of no meaning from you. He says, you've, in that case, you have fallen from grace. Not you've gone into sin, you have fallen, you have ran, you have left grace. And grace is no good for you if you're, if you're trying to perform in order for that relationship. You have fallen away from it. That is what people, that is what the world, that is what sinners, whatever you want to call it, that's what people reject, not Jesus, not Jesus, not grace. The world may not understand grace, but when they encounter it, they cannot get enough of it. The tax collectors and the sinners showed up in droves for Jesus. When was the last time you think they set foot in the temple? Religion rejects people. Religion puts people off. People then in turn reject religion, but they want to be with Jesus. I believe that wholeheartedly. And here's the other thing that I like about this scenario, about this party. Jesus is not on a ministry mission in going to this party, right? He's not, he's not out knocking on doors. He's not, he's not pounding on doors, going door to door, his Bible thumping or whatever, right? He, he, is, he is not, obviously I think he's ministering to the people at the party while he's there, but he is not going to this party with the intent of evangelizing people. He is not going, going he's is not street ministry. He's not walking down the street saying, hey, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He's not doing that, Right? He is going to a party that he was invited to because of a relationship that he had with Matthew and he's interacting with people. And guess what? The people show up to be with him. The people come to him because they are attracted to him. He doesn't have to go out looking for people. The people come to him because of existing relationships that he has in his life. They want to be around him. They are drawn to him. I believe your life of free grace is attractive to those who are labeled as sinners. If you are a born-again believer, if you are a born-again believer who is growing in your understanding of grace, not religion, but in your understanding of grace, I would expect people who do not share your view and your understanding of Jesus to be attracted to your life because Jesus is attractive to sinners. Jesus is attractive to those who are outside of the church. I absolutely believe that. You know why I believe that? Because the same spirit that was present in Jesus, the Holy Spirit was present in Jesus, that was attractive to those people is present in you. Because your understanding of your new life in him, your understanding of grace that, that you are living out that's attractive to people. People want to be around that. And, and listen, they may say it has nothing to do with your religion, quote, religion, because every other interaction they've had with, with religion in the name of Jesus has pushed them away. But you know the reality. You know the truth that it is Jesus in you. It is the Holy Spirit living within you that is attracting these people to your life and that is instituting these relationships. And it is giving you the opportunity to share Jesus with those people. Jesus is attractive to the rejected, to the outcast, to the sinners. 
religion is attractive to the religious. That's the truth. And if you can fill a church, if you can fill a church with people that are not filled with religion, but, but know and understand grace, know and understand what it is to have relationship with Jesus, it's not based on the, the, whether they're performing or not. That is a place where sinners, again, quote, sinners want to be. They will be drawn there. They will be drawn there. And the amazing thing is that when sinners, when sinners find themselves in the presence of Jesus, he transforms them. He invites them, he calls them, and like Matthew, they leave everything to follow him because they can't get enough. When he calls them, he invites them, and just like you and me, he makes them new and they can't get enough. This is my dream for Capital Vineyard Community Church, this right here that we're talking about right now, that this is not a place that is about religion, that this is a place where people who are attracted to the lives of grace-filled followers of Jesus outside of the church are invited into the church and the rest of us then welcome those people who come into our church without regard for who they are or what they've done or what they believe or what they say or how they act or what they stand for, whatever, without regard for that. We welcome them in and they get to be a part. They get the chance to be a part of a community that is close to Jesus and that is filled with grace. They get to interact with the Holy Spirit who is present with us in this place because I believe that Jesus is strong enough, he is powerful enough, he is big enough, he is loving enough to break through the walls that have pushed people away, that have rejected people for so many years. For their entire lives, they've been rejected. I believe he's big enough, strong enough, powerful enough, loving enough to break through those walls to make people who want nothing to do with religion new in him. I absolutely believe that. And I believe that a church that is filled with new covenant, born again believers, grace-filled people who can allow people to be in their presence who don't think like them or who don't look like them or who don't act like them. They don't yet know or they don't yet follow or they don't yet adhere to certain religious standards that are common in, in the religious church. Man, that, that, that place that is filled with those people that can be in the presence of, of people who don't know and understand those things can be the birthplace for thousands of believers in Jesus. I absolutely believe that. I absolutely believe that. And I believe that Capital Vineyard can be that kind of place. I'm praying for that and I am expecting that. I'm expecting it. And I would also say that we need to understand that if we are that kind of place, that we can expect this to be a place where religious people show up, they look us in the eyes and they say, how can you be doing that? How dare you eat 
with those despicable people. How could you do that? How can you sit and eat with these people? How can you welcome these people into your community of faith? That will happen. It will happen. It's come to my attention on, uh, on a number of occasions um, that we are getting a name as Capital Vineyard Community Church for being that church. Oh, that church. We're getting a name for being, and not on a, not on a big scale at this point, not, not, not yet, but we are getting a name for being that, that church. And I know that because fellow Christians have come to, to uh, members of our church and they, Christians, come to members of our church and they say, hey, I have a friend who um, I don't think will be welcome in my church, but I thought maybe they would be welcome in your church. We're that church. And if we're that church, I say, bring them on. Bring them on. Because I believe Jesus was that teacher. Oh, that teacher. Oh, the one who sits with those people. Mm, yeah. Bring them on. Because my Jesus says, all are invited. All are invited. My Jesus sits down at the party with tax collectors and sinners, not so that he can convert them and add another list, another check to his tally or another tally to his, to his saved list. No, he sits down at the table and talks with tax collectors and sinners because he loves them, because he wants to have a relationship with them, because he wants them to find new life in him. That's what my Jesus does. And knowing that when they find new life in him, real life in him, like Matthew, they will leave it all and they will follow him. They will do it. And it may not be perfectly, it may not be in an instant, like a, a switch that gets flipped. Listen, but he's changing them. He is changing them. Do we have grace as a church, this is a question for you to consider. Do we have grace as a church to sit with people while Jesus calls them? Do we have the grace for that? Do we have grace to sit with people while they're still considered dirty, nasty, rotten sinners? Do we have the grace for that as a church? Do we have the grace to sit with people while other well-meaning religious people come to us and say, what are you doing? How can you possibly sit and eat with those people? Do we have the grace for that? Do we have it? I hope we do. I believe we do. Because I believe that's God's calling for Capital Vineyard Community Church. When Jesus is sitting at the party with these rejected people, the Pharisees come and they ask him that question. How can you eat? How can you eat with these people? And Jesus' response in, in verse 31 is this. It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now, I've always had a little bit of trouble with that statement because when you read that statement, when you look at what Jesus is saying, he, kind of by the nature of his statement, he's saying there are some who are well. He's saying there are some who are righteous that don't need me. I didn't come for those people. I came for the sinners. 
I came to call them to repentance. I didn't come for, for you, for the well. What is he talking about? What, what can he possibly mean? Because we know a cornerstone of our faith is that none are well. None is righteous. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like that's a, that is a, a landmark, a cornerstone of our faith. Boom, set that rock on it. What, what is he talking about then? All need Jesus. Well, you have to understand who he's talking to, don't you? You have to understand that he's talking to, to the Pharisees. And he's not agreeing with the Pharisees that they don't need him. But he's recognizing that there are those who believe they don't need the grace of Jesus because they got it. They got it on their own. They're gonna stick to this moral code. They're gonna stick to these standards and they're gonna do those standards and they're gonna do them well. And so they don't need the grace of Jesus. They got it covered. And in that case, Jesus says, well, I didn't come for those people who don't believe they need me. They do need me, but they don't believe it. So I didn't come for them. I came for the ones who know they're sick, who recognize they have a need and I'm the one that can fulfill it. Because we need to understand today that outside of Jesus, none, no one is healthy. No one is healthy outside of Jesus. And we can look at all of society and we can say there are just those who recognize whether we have that need or not. Whether there is religion involved or not, there are people who recognize they need Jesus and those who don't. Two categories, that's it whether there's religion involved or not. Jesus said it's the sick who need the physician, not the well. But the reality is we know that outside of the redeeming grace of Jesus, nobody is well, none is well. If we're talking, uh, if we're talking about our spiritual condition, we know that unless you are redeemed by the grace of Jesus, unless you are born again, unless you are made new, there is only a dead spirit. We know that. There is only death. But the metaphor that Jesus uses holds true, right? Because all kinds of people in our society uh, uh, know, choose not to see a doctor. They think they got it. We got it. I used to be one of those people. I can remember the, the first semester of college that I was at, so I would have been 18 years old. But my first semester of college... Um, I got several sinus infections and they were bad sinus infections. Like I'm talking about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be gross, hawking up loogies, right? Uh, and we're talking about nasty mucus, colored mucus. And we're talking about pressure here in my sinuses that, that just to the touch hurt. I'm talking fevers and chills at night, hallucinating, having, having really weird dreams because of the fevers that I was having. But I'd wake up and I'd say, eh, I got it. I got it pop a few more ibuprofen, I got it. Help with the headache, take that symptom away. No problem, right? I didn't need a doctor. <laughs> Listen, the doctor cannot help you unless you recognize the need for the doctor and go. Help can only be offered if you go to the one who can help. If you think you're healthy, if you think you got it on your own, the one who could help you cannot help you. That's what Jesus is saying. And part of the problem with religion is that it's like popping a painkiller. It doesn't solve anything. It just covers up the symptoms. 
It can help you feel better for a little bit, but the sickness is still there. You're still dealing with the sickness underneath that masked pain. It might cover up your symptoms for a little bit. This is talking about religion. It might cover up your symptoms for a little bit, but, but it might help you um, cope better with those symptoms um, than the next guy because you're not feeling as much pain from it or you're not dealing with those symptoms as much as the guy who's not taking the pain meds. But guess what? You're still both sick. And religion just covers that up. It just masks it. When the Pharisees walk up to Jesus, they're asking him how he can eat with those sinners, how he can eat with those tax collectors. They're missing the fact that even though they have religion, and even though they're, they're, uh, they're, they're doing something that makes them feel a little bit better, they still have the same sickness as those people. They still have a sin problem. They still have the dead spirit, just like everybody else does. Their symptoms are just suppressed because they've got religion. They know how to act. They know how to behave, or at least they know how to cover it up with their religion. Their sins, their, their, their symptoms of this dead spirit are not as obvious. They're not as blatant as, as what these other people are. Listen, I don't care what your symptoms are. It's the same disease. I don't care what the symptoms are. It's the same disease. And the only thing that can cure that disease is new life in Jesus. That's it. You can't get it on your own. You can't get it from yourself. You can't get it from religion that depends on you to perform well enough. You can't get it. It only comes from new life through grace in Jesus. As the pastor of this church, I am not interested in suppressing symptoms and pushing symptoms down with the medication of religion while the disease is still present. I'm not interested in it. I am not. You will not hear me say, get your stuff together and act like a Christian. I'm not gonna do that. You will never hear me say it. I'm not interested in it. I'm interested in people being blown away by the love and having an understanding of the grace of Jesus entering into relationship with him and then maturing into who he has made them to be. That's what I'm about. That's what I am interested in. I'm not interested in acting like a Christian. The maturing process that we talk about, it takes time. And some will mature faster than others and some will will mature more than others in their entire lifetime. But that doesn't mean that they're not all born again when they found life in Jesus. Religion covers up illness. Religion keeps people away. The medication keeps people away from the doctor who can fix the thing that they've got going on. We're here to offer new life to people. That's why this church exists. We're here to offer new life to people. And until they find new life in Christ, we can expect that there will be symptoms of the death, of the spiritual death. We can expect that. If we're gonna open up our arms, welcome people in here, doesn't matter who they are, if we're gonna say everybody's invited, we can expect there to be messes in our church. We can expect that. It's gonna happen. I go back to my earlier question. Do we have the grace as a church to sit with people in the mess 
while Jesus is calling them, while they're deciding if they're going to respond to the invitation that he's offering them? Do we have the grace as a church for that? And even when people find new life in Christ, the maturing process takes time. It absolutely, it doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen like that. It takes time to overcome a lifetime of habits and a lifetime of behavioral patterns, a lifetime of destructive behavior, of of destructive relationship behavior between one another. It takes time. And the question is, are we gonna have grace to allow people to mature into who they are in Christ? Are we gonna push them out because they don't meet a religious standard? If I can trust grace to be enough for me, if I can trust the grace of Jesus to be enough for me in my maturing process, then I can trust the grace of Jesus to be enough for you in your maturing process. Using Jesus' metaphor, everybody needs the doctor. Everybody. Because the ultimate result of the illness is eternal death. Whether you realize you have the illness or not, that is the result of the illness. Whether the medication is helping you cope with your symptoms or not, the end result is death if you've not been made new, if you've not gone to the doctor. As a church, we're just trying to offer an atmosphere in Christ that is attractive to those who need him. And I believe that, that, that I, I really believe it, that people want to be around Jesus. That people are attracted to an environment that is filled with Jesus and with grace. I believe that people cannot get enough of that. Not religion, but enough grace. So we're trying to create an environment as free of religion as we can make it. And full of grace as we can make it. As we let people know that they're invited as we let people know that everybody is welcome and we let people know that everybody is as equally in need of Jesus as everybody else. When Jesus called Matthew, he said, everybody's invited. He said, everybody needs the doctor. None is healthy, right? He said, religion is not working. It's pushing people away. That's not going to work. So come on in and experience the love and the grace of Jesus. That is the community that we're trying to build at Capital Vineyard Community Church. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the life you've given us, for those of us that have found life in you. God, for the people that are still looking for life in you, I pray that they would find it. I pray that they would know that, that the, the, the reason for their rejection from the rest of the society and reason for their rejection from the rest of the world doesn't matter to you. Because you said, everybody is welcome at my table. Come on out, everybody is welcome. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for what you're doing in our church. We thank you for for the thing that you're building, for the community of grace-filled followers of Jesus, grace-filled born-again believers. We pray that you would help us to live in grace with one another. And we pray that this would be an attractive place for people who don't have a relationship with you and that you would give us the grace to live and to sit with people while you're calling them. 
We love you, Jesus. This is for you and for your glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And enjoy the rest of your Sunday afternoon.